we start in this place, at least I started in this place of trying to protect my child. I don't want them to see anything. I can't. It will it'll ruin their life. It'll take the spirit away from them. It'll harm their brain. We're going to get an addict, right? And so I went into it with that really, I would say, excited and <laughs> passionate way of protecting children. And as I've learned more and more about real life, the brain, Jesus Christ, all of the things, right? I've learned that the truth is what we're trying to do is prepare our children. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. And uh, I didn't I didn't realize this until just a few minutes ago uh, as I was getting ready for this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, you always hear this sort of flippantly tossed around. Oh, that that woman's going to be mother of the year. It's young mother of the year. Jill Geigel, welcome into the Cultural Hall. Thank you. So good to be with you. <laughs> now, we, we may get a little bit into that, but that's not what we're going to have as the main thrust of our conversation today. Talking about uh, pornography and uh, being able to protect our children against pornography and in turn, maybe have conversations within ourselves as adults about how we can be able to do that. Jill, I appreciate you being here. Uh, tell me, though, about this Young Mother of the Year Award. Oh, you know, several years ago, I, I had someone nominate me for that, and it was actually... I think probably because of my efforts in this area and in in my work protecting children. So, That's awesome. but I do have eight of my own children, so I I am a mother for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah a few times over. So let me ask you this about that because uh, I I think that uh, as far as the cultural hall goes, you are the I hope I'm not mistaking mm, could be I think the most prolific like family. <laughs> Eight, eight. That's a lot. That is a lot. Talk to me about that. Was that, was that just uh, gifts from Heavenly Father, or was it intentional? Well, I came from a big family. I'm the okay. youngest. I'm the youngest of twelve. So I just, it was part of who I am. But that being said, I never went into uh, having a family. I never said, "Oh, I'm going to have a big family," or "I'm going to mm -hmm. have eight. I, in fact, I didn't have a number. I just said one at a time, what I can handle <laughs> one at a time. When I thought I had that next one handled and I felt like I was getting that nudge from the spirit, then I went ahead and had another one, but yeah. definitely I'm used to it. You know, I grew up in a big family and we love it. So it makes it easier. Yeah. There's a, a favorite uh, comedian and past guest of the cultural hall, Jim Gaffigan, who talks about what is it like to have five kids? Imagine that you're... <laughs> that you're drowning or something and then someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like. And I just, I've been like, there. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> so was it, was it husband too? Was he part of a big family? And you just, I'm sorry, you know, in this day and age, you, you hear five, you hear six, if they're going, you know, they want to get that van lifestyle, but eight is, is a large number. Yeah. No, my husband came from a smaller family, I guess four, four. Mm -hmm. So this is all new to him. But he's a he's a willing participant and hopped right in. And I know once we started hitting a certain number, I think people in my ward were like, I don't know what they have eight or nine kids. I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> give me an idea as we record today. Uh, how what what is the age spread on those kids? Quite a span. Twenty four to seven. Almost. Okay. Seven. So, yeah. So you you are doing the last of all the things right now. The last kindergarten, the last, you know, not being at home during the day, all of those lasts. Yeah. How are you faring with all that? Well, I'm in, I'm just trying to enjoy all of it. Everyone, there's so many, and we're in so many different stages that it just keeps me hopping and 
I, I try to just take it all in because I really do. I love it. And I love, I love my little ones. I love my big ones. And so it'll be hard to give it up, give that little, little ones up, but mm-hmm. um, we're having a fun time wherever we are. I promise that this is my last question about it, but you know, the, the, I think that this is, is pertinent because there's a lot of women in the church uh, and I think just women in general who sort of identify with who the, what their circumstances are at that time and knowing that you probably have a little bit more free time than you've had in a long time. And and the kid can make himself a peanut butter or herself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and and be able to take care of those things. How are how are you making that transition? Uh, you know, it's been God has been good to me because I've kind of kept my but I've always been working in this area right here that I'm I'm, I'm going to talk to you about today, mm-hmm. helping parents and children uh, fight against pornography and and handle it in a good way. And so just as my kids have grown up and as I'm having more and more time, I'm able to just fill it more and more because this problem is big enough to could fill anyone's time. Yeah. So it's good. I'm I'm able to fill that time and it's really meaningful to me because it's helping children and parents in a cause that I love. So it's good. It's a good transition. It does, you know, that it is hard to leave those little ones and to leave those little years, but it is fun and an adventure to try some new things and and go ahead and do some things that I've put on the back burner for years. So I'm curious, uh, what is it that makes you so passionate about this particular topic, this, you know, pornography and, and helping protect our children? Why, why do you care so much? So it started kind of a long time ago. My parents were parents who went about doing good in their community. And I saw that example. And way back, probably even before I was born, my parents listened to uh, President Kimball at the time. And he gave a kind of a warning about pornography and said, it's going to flood the earth and you guys should do what you can to stop it. And so my parents, because of who they are, they jumped right in. And my dad I chuckle now because my dad worked with an organization that would go to Circle K's where all that pornography was. Uh-huh. And he would, if the Circle K would put it behind the um, the counter, uh-huh. they would get a ribbon on the door. And he, they would put that ribbon and say, this is a, a good store. You should come to this store. And that was the extent of the pornography. He He did a few other things as well, but he definitely made it an issue. Like we don't, you know, this is this can be harmful. And so I knew it, which was a little bit more, I, a lot of people didn't know it at that time. Mm-hmm. And then I went to high school and I happened to have a high school teacher who was very pro pornography, which is really unusual again, because this sure. is all pre-internet. And so, but this teacher was really interested in kind of pushing buttons and getting a lot of um, discussion going. And he started in on this. And I knew from my parents' example this wasn't right. And so at that point, I really went back and I started digging into research and finding what was really out there about this subject. And it really just planted in, in me and my mind and my heart. And I'm sure through the spirit that this was harmful and this wasn't the right, you know, this wasn't good for families. And so then I graduated from BYU and started having my children and the internet was blossoming. And I, I just was like, I could see this perfect storm happening. And I knew because I I do have that want to protect children heart in me. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to jump in and do what I could. And so at that point, I just, I started, my husband and I started a a nonprofit for several years and worked here, brought in the experts from around the country, really got to know the issue. And we, um, 
started educating and working on laws and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was really meaningful. It, it helped me understand and it helped me connect with parents and really helped me dig into the technology issue as I was raising and, you know, battling it in my own house, trying mm -hmm. to manage technology. And then I got to the point where I knew I needed to do things on a little bigger scale and begin to write curriculum for children. So I went back and got my master's in that area wow. so that I could take all the information that parents don't have time to learn. Mm -hmm. Parents don't have time to learn everything about technology that's out there, everything about pornography. They just don't have that time. So I am able to now gather all of that that I've been working on for 20 years and put it into really meaningful, a meaningful way for children. I've, I've designed some for develop some curriculum for children as well. And then for this specific problem or project, put it into a really applicable and usable form for parents to get true real help in mm. this area. I, I, just because I'm, it's a, an odd curiosity of mine. You mentioned the teacher that's pro porn, you know, what did that, what did that sound like? What was the instigating conversation? Cause in my mind, it's like, I'm a big fan of porn. What does anybody yeah. have to say about that? Is that essentially what it was? Free speech, uh. free speech and freedom. So he wanted to really push like, Hey, we, we, this is legal. You know, we should be able to do whatever we want to in our bedrooms. Mm. And if someone's trying to stop us and they're, you know, treading on our free speech and it was often a lot. Um, and it's still, you know, that argument is still out there, obviously sure. free speech, but the harms were not as researched back then. The real medical issues, the real mental health issue and component, the, the neuro issue to this component wasn't as well researched. And so a lot of times it was considered a moral issue mm. back then. Mm -hmm. And we've made this really great transition through science, neuroscience and addiction science to the point right now where the research is showing what it really is, which is harmful. It's, it is harmful. It isn't something that, you know, you can just do in your bedroom but it is harmful to brains and connection and families and societies altogether. So, and so many consequences now we're seeing them in society. We're seeing the rise of so many harmful things in children's behavior. Mm -hmm. And so that's now come out back then. The principal is just trying to say, Hey, like we can do what we want. Don't, I mean, my teacher, excuse me, not my principal. The teacher was trying to say, this is free speech and you, you shouldn't stop me. You know, we've stepped on the hornet's nest before here in the culture hall where we have talked about uh, an addiction and whether pornography can be an addiction or it's not an addiction. It can be, uh, you know, something else or it's couched in a different way. Um, I would be curious as to where you feel or, or what you feel about that. And then um, secondarily, how how maybe in some ways it doesn't matter what it is, but that we just need to to worry about it. For sure. So I'm in the camp of it definitely can lead to an addiction, but I'm also, because I've seen the brain scans, I've seen the EEGs, I've, I've talked to the doctors, the neurologists that have shown me, here's what an addictive brain looks like. Here's what a brain looks like on pornography and here's what's happening. So I, I, I believe that it can, but I'm also of the camp that, especially with children, we need to be very careful when we use those words and use them appropriately and, and where they, where it is accurate, 
because addiction can be overwhelming when you start throwing words like that out to children, that can be really scary Mm -hmm. and incite a lot of fear and shame. And so when children run into pornography, which they will, right? We, that that's where the stats are. They will, we want them not to be afraid and feel like they have to hide. We want them to be able to talk about it and not feel so, um, I've got to hide because I don't want to get an addiction or I can't tell my mom because this is so big. So I definitely believe that there is an addiction and that it actually can happen at a very young age. I mean, clinically it's happening more often than ever right now. Right. Mm -hmm. But in educating a child, we want to be very careful in how we use that word and how we teach that. One of the other parts of addiction that I think we have to walk that delicate balance is because it take it, it, it seemingly and in some situations sort of takes away the agency yeah. it, it, to say, oh, I'm just I'm addicted. I'm an addicted person. I can't possibly do something about that. And I'm and I'm not downplaying those that struggle with any type of addiction because, you know, it is an addiction. But can you find your way through that addiction to be able to temper the the temptations or the the, uh, you know, the action on those things? Yes, for sure. I mean, that's always one of the issues is if as soon as we label an addiction, it feels like we lose some kind of agency. But so it's it's really important to label it the right way and talk about it the right way so that it can because it can be overcome. This is something that can be beat. I mean, it's 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 doable. So we don't want to take that agency away for sure. Yeah, I want to take a quick break. We're going to come back in the second block and uh, we'll talk about how we can start having those conversations. Let's do that. Coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church. That is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's geared for kids and grandkids aged 4 to 11. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill, and it allows your kids to play the Friend Magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now, here's what's cool about it. Each month, it's going to include new stories and new music from the Friend magazine. It's, uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, hey, kids, enable the Friend magazine skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church. So there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the Friend magazine skill be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, uh, remember if you have a guest suggestion, someone that you think, hey, you know what? That would be a great conversation to take place in the Cultural Hall. You can always send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com, or you can uh, send us a direct message on any of the social medias. Wherever you social medialize, that's where you can find us at the Cultural Hall. Reach out. You can give that recommendation. We always love it if you tell the person that you're recommending and giving us their contact information that we're going to be reaching out. That's helpful. Otherwise, it feels like I'm calling to tell them that they can get their student loans paid off or that they can get better insurance. So contact at theculturalhall.com. Give them a heads up as well. Now, Jill, uh, I, I would like to ask you about this so much. And we had a recent conversation here in the Cultural Hall about this in sort of a different way, talking about sexual relationships and how we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints don't typically talk about sexual things very well. 
I think this transcends into this conversation as well, where maybe no one, we as adults, no one ever really talked to us about pornography or or its effects or even what it is or maybe why we shouldn't or, you know, anything. Maybe we just didn't have the conversation around it. And now we're put in the place where whether we have one kid or eight kids, we're having to have that conversation. Give me that that first, I don't know what I'm doing sort of uh, pep talk. Well, and maybe you had the conversation one time, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you had it. Your parents told you one little thing. And so, yeah, we definitely feel like that is a big thing that has to change inside as we work with the rising generation, as we work with our own children. Mm-hmm. Because one of the be- best ways to build pornography resistance in your child is to teach them positive and healthy sexuality first. So from a young age, I mean, I say there's there's never too early of a time to start talking about healthy and positive sexuality. And it looks a little bit different for everybody. But, you know, when you're when the, those children are young, zero, one, two, three, you're really talking about bodies and and putting it in appropriate ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And at appropriate times. But really to be able to show the difference when your children start getting to that tween age and they're really start taking on a lot more media and everything. If they've heard and seen the truth from you first, and they know what that truth looks like, there's going to be a big difference in what they see when they start running into pornography. The other thing talking about positive and healthy sexuality does at an early age is it really establishes you as the expert in mm-hmm. their mind. And you have this open communication. They're not afraid to talk to you. They're not, there's no shame involved because you guys have been talking about this for a long time. So as they hit, you know, a little bit older years, they know that you're the one who's going to tell them the truth when what they see on social media and the screen will not, hmm. you know. How, how does that, because I know, you know, in conversations that we've had, when we start talking about sexuality with our, our kids, like there's a, a very sort of um, you know, first step where it's like, that's not a hoo-ha, that's a whatever the right. thing is that you're talking about, right? Using the proper terms for the the, the proper body right. parts and those kind of things. And then I feel like we get sort of in the great and spacious sort of misty darkness. We don't really know what to say. And then all of a sudden, our kids are in a position where they could be sexually active or they're starting to be curious about it. Where What takes place in that? Here are what we call these parts to your kind of got some things that you'd like to maybe feel with these parts or whatever the thing would be. What's in that gap? So that's what you have to decide as a parent, because there's all kinds of, you know, for me to answer that is really hard because parents and families vary. Mm -hmm. So what a parent has to do is really start in as a young, you know, with their children young, but then you just have to start learning. What are your children? What are you comfortable with telling your child? And then start reading and researching and and learning, you know, how do I approach the next part? Okay. They're eight years old. I need, you know, I think I probably need to start talking about, um, sexual intercourse here. Mm -hmm. So I need to introduce that now. How's the best way, you know, and you can look it up, look for books, look for trusted sources of information. What we, what I say when we're talking about pornography, Mm -hmm. I tell parents, Listen, think of an age where you would probably feel comfortable talking and having this discussion about what pornography is and how it can, you know, lie and harm, harm your child. 
Think about that age and then at least start two years before that. Mm-hmm. And if you've been having, if, you, if your child already knows all of the other sexual words and terms, and then you're introducing, uh, you know, that two years before you're going to have a really strong foundation as they're starting in and hitting and hitting all of that media and, and all of the things that are going on out there. And it's just starting younger and younger. Like there's just a recent um, study. It was actually out of the UK that came out and the, the parents said, I think 23% of the parents said, yes, my children have seen pornography. And then they asked the children of those parents and 64% of the children said, yes, I've seen pornography. Yeah. So there's this gap that we have as parents. We really don't want to believe that our children are taking in all that sexuality, but we live in a sexually saturated culture. And so we have to take the blinders off and really go earlier when we're dealing with sexuality and with pornography. So I would be curious because as to your point, you can't really speak to anyone else's experience, only your own. You have a 24-year-old. Let's take both sides of the gap, the 24-year-old and then the seven-year-old. When the the 24-year-old was younger, around the age of the seven-year-old, what did that conversation sound like? And I'm actually hoping that you can maybe walk out what that little literal conversation would be and then juxtapose it to if there's anything that is different or that you've gained to your now seven-year-old and and how that conversation has changed as you've changed. For sure. Haven't I learned, right? I've learned a lot in these years. So first of all- That's what life's all about, right? For sure. I mean, that's why I am here right now to try to to help parents because, um, you know, we we start in this place, at least I started in this place of trying to protect my child. I don't want them to see anything. I can't. It will it'll ruin their life. It'll take the spirit away from them. It'll harm their brain. We're going to get an addict. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I went into it with that really, um, I would say, excited and (laughs) passionate way of protecting Mm -hmm. children. And as I've learned more and more about real life, the brain, um, Jesus Christ, all of the things, right? I've learned that the truth is what we're trying to do is prepare our children. And we're trying to prepare them to be able to handle all of the good and all of the bad. And and it's harder and harder for children in all ways right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're raised, They're being raised in a really, really complicated time, as we all know. So with my 24 year old, I would say that that conversation at age six, seven was definitely body parts. We're thankful for a body, you know, heavenly father's given us this body. We get to have families with it. Like I was very general and very, very, um, I was, you know, it was, it was pro body, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't any details for sure. We weren't talking, we weren't talking sexuality much at all. Um, what I've, as I've come through the years and it's taken some, some doing is I generally now teach that specifics of sexuality at about age eight Mm. and, and, and really get into um, specifics and really open that door to, okay, here's what a body does. Here's how we have children. And I was always having children. Mm -hmm. So that was an easy conversation in my house to say, look, I have a baby in my stomach. Now, how do you think this got here? And then we'd go through those kind of things. And so that was, that was a really natural, normal and natural ways. As much as we use that phrase now, it's, Mm -hmm. it applies so much in this area. Um, 
I would imagine with, with, with having uh, eight kids, eight opportunities to be able to have this conversation, that it, it probably has hit pretty well sometimes. And then with others and the temperaments of other kids, it's like, Mom, God, boom, yeah. I don't even... T- talk to me when, when we have that. And maybe we're the ones that uh, are doing the, this is so uncomfortable for me. And the kid's <laughs> like, nah, it's cool. You want to talk about sex? I'm in. What do you want to talk about? Yep. Both sides of that spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Both sides of that spe- spectrum. Some children are like, Hey, great. Whatever. I don't even care. Actually, let me go play in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And then some are like, Ugh, mom. And one of the things is that, you know, we, of course we try to do mom and dad, mom and dad. Mm-hmm. But one of the differences that I have come to is that originally it was like that big moment where, okay, I'm going to talk about this. And it was making me nervous. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, it's not a conversation. This is almost a daily, weekly, you know, we have that original conversation when they're young and, and we follow up with that when they're young. But then when they're starting to hit 10, 11, 12, 13, this conversation is flowing all the time. When they're start starting to really take in um, media that can be sexual and starting to have their own sexual feelings come from development, right? This is, I mean, the the conversations we have at our dinner table, you'd be surprised because <laughs> it's like, hey, you know, what are you feeling today? And and everybody is open to this kind of conversation. What are you feeling today? How's how's it going? What did you see? I saw this today. This bothered me because what have you seen? You know, and let the children open up and what do you have questions about? Do you have questions about that? What, you know, what did you, what? So that those kind of check-ins, so you have this talk that's mm-hmm. kind of that nerve wracking talk, sure. but the more you can have the little follow-ups that come pretty soon, it starts breaking down that awkwardness and it starts just opening it to be more of a normal flow of, you know, mom, I saw this, what does that mean? Or I saw this word what does that mean? You know, can you tell me about that? My friend said this, or I saw this, then they're more approachable. You know, it just gets, it's not a conversation, it's conversations. And it, we, you know, it's often, often. I would be curious to know, um, you know, anecdotally, uh, whether or not it's myself or or someone else, let's make that anonymous, but you make some sort of (laughs) confession to a parent, or you get caught with something um, from a parent, and then it's you. What? How could you talk about the the danger and the damage that comes from that sort of reaction from a parent or guardian? I guess we could right. s- step into it that way. So this is really critical, and all the research, even just recently, I just read some some discouraging research that said parents are still <laughs> struggling with that initial a child comes to them or they get caught. Either way. And that initial reaction is so critical to bringing the child out of um, shame where when they're in shame with that sexual activity or that pornography, it creates them to go back. It's that cycle. It pushes them back to the pornography, pushes them back to the pornography. And a parent has that opportunity to pull the shame down and to say, hey, all right, yeah, I've had that experience. I'm sorry that happened to you. How can we get out of this? So it is, it's that really important first reaction. And I think the reason why parents have that initial (laughs) um, struggle and it is for everyone. I mean, I have done it wrong 
so many times. <laughs> I've done it wrong so many times. But you think you've taught them a little bit or you think they know. Mm-hmm. And you know that this really is a harmful thing. I mean, it, it's that mother bear instinct. Mm-hmm. And instead of taking it out on the porn industry or the big tech industry or the government where it should be taken out on, your child is kind of this victim and they come to you and say, this happened to me. And you have that real protective instinct of this has to stop. This is, this is harmful. And sometimes you just take it all on that child. Mm-hmm. So I really, I really try to help my parents when I'm talking to parents, I say, look, take a minute and practice this, practice this response before your child is, before it ever happens to you. You role play this with children all the time and have them come and tell you, I've seen this and you practice your response. And you, before you say anything, you get to a place of empathy. Hmm. You stop and you get to a place of empathy. Like, all right, this is hard. (laughs) This is hard for both of us. And I'm so sorry this happened to you. I've had things like that happen to me too. I've seen stuff like that too. And then move forward with, hey, let's figure out a way together that we can keep this from happening again or get some help that you need, or we can um, really identify that this is not your, this is Satan actually attacking us as a team. You and I are a team here. We're on the same team and this Satan and social media and big tech are really trying to attack us. Let's turn and fight against them together. And then, you know, it, it binds, it binds you instead of pulls you apart and puts that rift in there. Mm. So that first initial reaction is really important and I've blown it so many times. So if you do it wrong, it's okay. But I tell parents as much as you possibly can practice, practice, get a phrase, get a phrase that you have memorized. So when the principal calls you and says, your child's been, we caught your child looking at porn on the Chromebook at school Mm -hmm. and you have to go down there and get him out of the office. You have that phrase ready to go. Uh, It's simple. What you're saying is not, is, is not complicated, maybe difficult though. Uh, for some especially, but but knowing, um, first of all, that you can have that, you know, have that thought sort of already made up, this is what I'll say in the occurrence of something like this, uh, and, and knowing that it's not an if, but a when. I mean, I, I think that's a fair summation to say that if you're, you know, if you're raising a child in this day and age, there will be some sort of opportunity where you will have the opportunity to react to that child you know, viewing, seeing, searching, you know, hiding, whatever the thing may be as far as pornography goes. I I think it's interesting too. um, I've heard this and I can't remember where, but the, the advice that was given was if you don't know, you, you know, you've practiced it and then in the actual moment comes and it's time for you to deliver the thing that you have, you know, practiced and practiced and practiced, that it's also perfectly fine to be like, thank you for telling me yeah. I need a moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, not like the seething, you know, vein right. popping out of your head, need a moment. But <laughs> I think that that's the thing that so often we feel like we have to react right in the moment. A- and to know that we can n- not have to react in that moment. Thank you for letting me know on the inside. No, not my child. I can't believe this is. I'm going <laughs> to, we're going to talk about this again later. And then yeah. you can have that sort of as a separate thing. 
that that to me seems like a, a really empowering response. Yes, that's one of the that's one of the great ones to memorize. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for telling me. Let's talk about this a little bit later. And then it can because then you can kind of pull yourself together. You can figure out if, you know, what they're, what has been going on. You can, sometimes you can go do a little more research. Maybe you haven't been looking at their texts like you should ever, you need to pull up the history mm -hmm. and see, because even if you are the most open parent and you've talked to your child and you've talked and you've talked and you've talked, there is still this natural amount of shame that a 13 year old boy does not want to come to his mm -hmm. mom and say to her, I have been looking at pornography and masturbating. So when, when there is always, no matter how hard you try, there is this natural amount of, of friction and, and shame that comes. And so you have to be able to go, take a minute and go back and do some research because it's so hard for your, for your child to own up and tell the whole truth that first time. Mm -hmm. It just, hardly ever happens. You know, you'll get a little piece of it and then you'll, you'll have, you'll go, okay. And what else? No, no, that's it. And that, that's all, you know, that's all that happened or that's all. And then you find out a week later, a little more, and you find out a week later, a little more, but that only happens. That little more stuff only happens if you can hold it together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then do your research and then pull up, start really digging and see what you can find. Yeah, we test the waters. Yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah. I think that that's the natural thing in children and in in parents. It's like, hey, uh, this, okay, <laughs> okay, that was all right. That wasn't so bad. And, and also this, okay, we're still good. But at the point that it's like, you what? It's like, okay, done. <laughs> that will be done. I would be curious. Again, you can only speak to your experience and to the level that you need to keep this anonymous. You're welcome to. But I would be curious in the time that you have done it wrong with one of your kids. I would love to know how you did it wrong and then what you did on the other side to air quotes, make it right. Right. I think, and that's the most hopeful thing for parents, right? Is mm -hmm. that because this is a very ongoing issue, there is not a one-time shot here. And I would say um, in my experience, I'm relatively tight with what my children have. Like my children don't have social media as teenagers. Mm -hmm. However, that wasn't true with my oldest daughter. I didn't know yet. I, I didn't know yet. So I think my oldest son and daughter started and then I kind of got an idea and then I took it off. But I would say in, in comparison to many other families, just because I work in this industry and I just know too much, um, that I have pretty tight rules they could be debate that could be debated, but I would say, yes, I do. But that being said, even with that, I have ongoing opportunities with my children, seeing pornography and being exposed to different things at school, at friend's house, even at my house, you know, to practice. Mm -hmm. And so when you get it wrong <clears throat> and you find your, I find myself laying the law and is saying, what in the world has happened? Then when I have that chance to to cool down, go back, look at the situation. When I come back and say, okay, we got to talk about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just that going back and trying again. My, I feel like my kids with those efforts, they know that I love them enough to keep trying. Yeah. And even when I do it wrong, they'll forgive me because when I come back, I, I own it. I'm like mm -hmm. you guys, I way overreacted on that. 
Now let's work together to figure out how we can make this right and make it easier for you. Like, what am I missing? And that's where I've come to a place of, I, you know, I kind of have a few areas where when I see a child, like a red flag come up with a child, I'm able to kind of look back through a few of these areas and say, okay, where am I, what am I missing with this child? Because, you know, viewing pornography isn't just this bad kid that's trying to get pornography. Mm -hmm. There's usually some underlying issues that are happening. Some of them are practical. Some of them might be bigger, but when I can kind of adjust, usually we get back into a better place and we have more, you know, just the, the regular stuff. Like I saw this or I did this or whatever, just small things that we're talking about and the dialogue is going on. Mm-hmm. But it's, I'm to the point now where I can kind of self-assess and I'm watching my children. And that's kind of why I put all of this into a, a book, a workbook. So parents can have that same ability to see red flags and be hopefully working preemptively and preparing, but then have a way to assess their, what's going on with their children. And then to navigate that when they get a little um, troubled. Yeah. Let's take another break. Uh, When we get back into the third block, we're going to dive right into that workbook. Uh, We'll do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country, uh, but especially here in Utah. Been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall. Because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, All sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, Whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, make your uh, listening of the Cultural Hall an active listening. What does that mean exactly? Well, uh, maybe you uh, really have enjoyed the crap out of this episode and you're like, listen, I should share this with someone. This is valuable information. There's this cool thing that social media does, which is allows you to spread good to lots of people. You can copy the link to this episode and you can put it out on a on a social media post. That's one way, for example. Maybe you don't want to do it so blatant. Maybe you just want to send it in a private message to someone. Also great. Or maybe you're just with uh, some people that are like-minded and you go, you know what? I was listening to the most fascinating interview with young mother of the year, Jill Geigel, and you need to hear it, and you can just tell them about it, and they can seek it out. However you do, uh, we just would encourage you to share the show however you see fit. Please do it, uh, and we appreciate what that does for us here. Now, Jill, uh, I love that you shirk the young mother of the year. Own it! That's awesome! It's great! (laughs) 
it's a it's a it's a great thing. I know, I know. We, we it's a thing that you're like, well, there are lots of great people and all the things. I I say, you know what? If great things happen, yep, that's a great thing. I'm I am grateful for that because you know what? There will be a bad thing that will happen, and I and I will have to own that as well. I don't know. I don't know if I'd uh, win that award if you were visiting my house for a week or so. Oh, oh come on now. Come on. <laughs> so you you create this workbook and um, I love it because ju- just the name, you know, of a workbook, you know, that it, it's the work. This isn't something that's going to come natural. It's not even the most um, comfortable talking about, you know, sexuality, pornography, all of these things. You, even someone that's really great at it, you, you have to work because there's another part of this this is your children that you're sharing this with this is your your partner who may feel differently than how you do or you don't know how to navigate it or how to have these conversations and so it's a considerable amount of work um i would love to know how you you sort of uh you lay it out is there a, a chronological progression is it if you see this then go to this chapter give people an idea about that so i put it in a workbook form so that you really can have interactive um development with your own situation and how you want it to end. And there's what I did was just put four sections. There's four sections in here. It's not a lot of, it's not a lot of text. This is for busy parents. Mm -hmm. And what they really need is someone to give them a little bit of information and then hold their hand as they figure out the language and the pathway that they want to go down. And so there's four sections. Each of the sections are areas that you can work on with your child and and that relate to pornography and that you don't have to read them chronologically. You can read, you can look at these sections and go, oh yeah, immediately I know that I need to work on open and often communication with my child. So I'm going to start with that and I'm going to read that and I'm going to really work on that for a month or a week or a year, whatever Mm -hmm. you want, whatever you feel comfortable with. But these four different sections are nourishing relationships. And that's not just with your child. It's, you know, primarily with your child as well. But we talk about your relationship with technology, your child's relationship with technology. And then also really importantly, teaching your child how to have relationships, how to have healthy relationships. We're really struggling in that area right now with children because they have screens. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have as much real relationship building and modeling going on. And that's really a a very important way of building pornography resistance is that real relationship. So the first section is all relationships. The second section is open and often communication. What we've been talking about really that the guideline and and it gives you a lot of um, ways to practice and preparing for those communication for that communication. The third area is, is called creating places of security. And that's really talking about rules and tools that you're going to use with your children and how to bring your child in to that conversation and create some places that your child doesn't have to be on high alert all the time. Mm. That it's exhausting for a little child and for a teenager, but creating a place that they can come and be okay and not have to be fighting that all the time. And then finally, the last section is called um, Live and Teach the Doctrine of Jesus Christ. And that section is, you know, of course, the foundation, the most powerful, the best way of pulling down the shame through faith, repentance, covenants, and the Holy Ghost. It, it is, it gives you the opportunity. It reminds you that you have the opportunity of introducing your child 
to the grace and to the mercy and to the love of Jesus Christ and Mm -hmm. his reaction. And you get to be the one to model that to your child through this, through their development in this area. And so it's really um, those four areas are kind of what is covered in the book. As your kids have sort of grown with you being able to to model these things, I, I would imagine that they become the guinea pigs in in some way of a lot of the different sections of these books, things that you go, oh, I sure thought it was that, but that's not it. We'll be changing that or however. Ha- have your kids um, grabbed on to the passion about this? Some have, some haven't. What? Give me an idea of what that looks like in now what would be the third generation. For sure. They they definitely know that this is an issue in our house. (laughs) This is something that is, is real. And they know, they hear and know and have seen the difference, especially now that I have some in college, some in high school, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the junior high kids, they don't quite believe that mom knows what she's talking about yet, or that all of these things really are harmful. And then they get a little older and experience, and then they get on a mission or get out into college and they actually start seeing that this is, you know, there's a difference in, in people who are stuck on technology or have a lot of experience with pornography and all those things. So they really start believing and, and understanding. And I would say that I, I see it very, very much. So in my older kids, Mm -hmm. they understand their eyes are open. They're, they're careful. They, it is an issue. They're, able to speak about it mm-hmm. in, in good ways, you know, appropriate, normal and natural ways. We don't want it to overtake and, and put our life out of balance, but because technology and pornography are such a, you know, it's just everywhere pervasive uh, yeah. that we have to be able to understand it and, and deal with it on all different levels because it's affecting everything, spiritual, emotional, mental health, you know, everything social. As your kids are becoming partnered, I think you said that one of your kids is uh, married, mm-hmm. and then that that partner comes into the family and and you know likely didn't have the same sort of upbringing. Has it been how how has that introduction been to you? Sure, you were raised this way. This is how we do it. Well, the fun part about that is, you know, I'm like, hey, have you talked to him about pornography, like on their third date or something? (laughs) She's like, what? I go, yeah, you might want to be throwing that out there because, you know, this was post, this was post high school, you know, mission, kind of more the time when she was needed to start asking those questions. So Mm -hmm. he was, he was right, right there in the beginning, knew that this was going to be something we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, thank goodness he was pretty like-minded you know, yeah. willing to really be open and talk about it. And I think that, you know, it was probably maybe a little bit of shock, but really good shock. Yeah. Really good. Well, and, and I think, uh, you know, uh, the open and often communication, certainly that applies as not only a, a section of the workbook, um, but a, in like deepening and, um, and uh, increasing the the closeness within our relationships. I mean, yeah. Yeah, sure. there there are probably people who are you know don't have kids at all but don't know some things about their partner and it's because there just isn't an open and, and often communication about those things just because maybe we're uncomfortable around it or we fear what the answer might be um and I, you'll find like with ch- with kids i find cuz you know i speak to a lot of kids do focus groups i'm always doing research and and speaking mm-hmm. they're really anxious to have some conversation about this mm-hmm. because 
they know, especially kids in the church, have the idea that pornography is harmful, right? We've, we've gotten that message out yeah, for sure. Bad. Okay. Right, right. We know it's bad. But then they're like, well, can you throw us some help here? Yeah. You know, we're out here swimming alone, just like drowning, trying to manage all this stuff. And you're finally, someone will say, Hey, I know what, I know what they're DMing you on your Instagram. How are you handling that? How many nudes have you sent and how many have you received? Let's talk about that. Let's yeah. say why that matters. And how can you handle that? Mm-hmm. You know, let's, and all of a sudden the kids are really, and maybe it's cause I'm not their mom, but my kids, once you get past that initial, um, kind of bump, they're all like, thank you. Thanks for talking to me about this. Well, I need help. Yeah. You, you know, at, at the very early part of our conversation, you said, you know, that every household needs to determine what they would be able to talk about and how they would be able to talk about it. And, and I certainly respect that. It's just hard when you know that within that, you know, our family doesn't talk about this stuff is the response of some people. And, and you can just sort of see, oh, hey, that, I mean, I can appreciate that that's your perspective. You are, you get to parent your kids the way that you would like to, but also that may not be the best thing. And Mm -hmm. and you just can't do anything about it. Right. And and that would be why you would give them the workbook Yeah, because then the parents would have some extra information Mm -hmm. that could help them and hold their hand as they make that decision. Because really we do, we want to live in this world that this isn't, this isn't going on, but I, you know, I have this. I was volunteering one time on the first day of school in the cafeteria at the elementary school. And I'm in there and everything's going well. And then these little four and five-year-olds come in and they bring their lunches and they sit down and they're, they start crying and they can't open their lunchbox and they can't manage the snacks. They're trying to open the snacks. They can't do it. They want to go home to their mom. It's their first time being away all day. And they're crying and they're asking me, please, can I go home to my mom? Can I talk to my mom? And my little mom heart is like, this is the worst. I can't, what is, this is, this is the whole system is bad. What we've got to get these kids back to their house. They can't stay here all day. And I'm, I'm sitting there opening their stuff and hugging them and being this mom. And the principal comes in and she's nice. She's great nicely comes up to each kid and goes, Oh, okay. Let me show you how to open this. And she takes the milk. She opens it. She shows them how to open it. Let me show you how to get your lunchbox. And I see her go down the row and she teaches them and she prepares Mm. them. And pretty soon their attitudes are turning around. Now it's going to take, you know, a week or two, but instead of being this, Oh, I'm so sorry that you're in this position. She could have empathy for them, but then she, she empowered them. She showed them what to do. And it was such a light that went on the same thing with this situation that we're in. Parents do not want to believe we don't, we hate this. We hate that we have to talk about sexuality and pornography at age seven, eight, nine. It's the worst. Mm-hmm. We hate that this, this society we're living in is saturated with the worst sexual messages ever harmful, just deviant and wrong. I hate it, but I can't sit in my house and cry about it. You know, I've got children and I have got to teach these children and I've got to prepare them so that when they're out there, they can manage it and they can successfully really get through it and become empowered and not be harmed by what we're living in. An an interesting thing that dawned on me as you were saying that last little bit is the amount of um, like self-confidence 
the ability to know that you could face difficult things and that you make your way through them. And that this can be just another one of the arrows in the, in the quiver, right? That it's like, yeah, I know how, I know how to open my own fruit snacks and I know what to do when, you know, when pornography makes its way into my life, whatever that may be. Um, The name of the workbook is prepare your child. It's pornography resistance written by young mother of the year, Jill Geigel. Uh, There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I would ask those of you now. The first one is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? I am primary music leader. There you go. Calling in the church. Now, give me an idea. Are you uh, are you costumes? Are you games to get people? Give me an idea what that looks like in your stewardship. Um, I am teach the doctrine. Oh, the way it should be. Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) We love I we do it fun, though. I mean, I have games. I've I've really been in this calling for a good majority of my life. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love it. We we play games. We do costumes. We do it all. But we definitely focus on Jesus Christ and his doctrine. And they love it. That's awesome. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? (laughs) I would never leave this calling. Yeah. I love it. Okay. And then the final question, we ask you to interpret it however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Favorite part of my faith is my relationship with Jesus Christ and his ability to be by me and help me get through the hard things and the good things in life. Well said. Uh, people can find a, a link to purchase the workbook, as I'm sure they will want to, whether they're purchasing it for themselves or to very passively be like, hey, you may want to share that with your uh, neighbor, your people in your ward, whatever that thing may be, uh, in the links at the show notes. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast we will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row. We really got to go on the Cultural Hall.